welcome to the Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Thy will, not mine, be done. Thank you. In the spirit of carrying the message, this meeting is being recorded. If you're not sure your share will be appropriate or on topic, please participate by listening. The recording equipment will not be turned off for any reason. If you wish to share, please speak directly into the microphone so the listener can follow you. If you wish not to be recorded, we invite you to participate by listening or attending another session. Please do not touch any of the recording equipment. So when you come up here to share... I'm going to set the microphone here and we'll maybe pull a couple more chairs up. You can just line up and we'll come up on this side to share. Um, Okay. Um, We're going to start here a little bit by sharing a little bit of our experience, strength and hope on fear and a little reading about fear. There's a couple pages in the 12 and 12 here, one of my favorite books. And uh, just a couple of paragraphs I'll read here. I don't know if you have one with you. I'm on page 48. And this is on step four. Uh, to avoid falling into confusion over the names of these defects, what these defects should be called, let's take a universally recognized list of major human failings. The seven deadly sins of pride, greed, lust, anger, gluttony, envy, and sloth. It is not by accident that pride heads the procession, for pride leading to self-justification and always spurred by conscious or unconscious fears is the basic breeder of most human difficulties, the chief block to true progress. Pride lures us into making demands upon ourselves or upon others which cannot be met without perverting or misusing our God-given instincts. When the satisfaction of our instincts for sex for security and society becomes the sole object of our lives, then pride steps in to justify our excesses. All of these failings generate fear, a soul sickness in its own right. Then fear in turn generates more character defects, unreasonable fear that our our instincts will not be satisfied drives us to covet the possessions of others, to lust for sex and power, to become angry when our instinctive demands are threatened, to be envious when the ambitions of others seem to be realized while, other, while ours are not. We eat, drink, and grab for more of everything than we need, fearing we shall never have enough. And with genuine alarm at the prospect of work, we stay lazy, we loaf and procrastinate, or at best, we're grudgingly and under half steam. These fears are the termites that ceaselessly devour the foundation of whatever sort of life we try to build. So, if that sounds like the fear you're here to listen and participate in, then welcome. Um, Excuse me a sec. 
I did write a few notes on the uh, on the plane on the way over, and uh, just wanted to talk a little bit first. Oh, first of all, my uh, if you didn't get it, my name is Farley McGregor, recovering se- sexaholic. My sobriety date is June 18th, 1998, a date for which I'm never and can never be sufficiently grateful for. Um, I'm going to go a little further here. Um, where I come from, we usually do a mini qualifier. Um, my disease is rooted in fantasy and lust. Fantasy remains my gateway drug. My acting out includes promiscuity, adultery, dependency relationships, and sex from a position of power and trust. I'm addicted to fear, chaos, and sex. I have an ability, inability to release images, desire to be lusted after. I practice voyeurism, exhibitionism, judging, objectifying, and sexualizing all of you. So I want to talk a little bit about being addicted to fear and chaos. Um, for me, fear is, 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 is a real drug. Um, I found that the job I had managing a large industrial facility and being a problem solver really fed into my self-worth. That's where I got my that's where I got my kudos from, is the fact that I could solve these problems. So when there was no problems, I didn't have anything to do, really. I had lots to do, but I didn't really focus on those other things. It was the adrenaline that I was also addicted to. I found in reality, I'm a, I'm a drug addict. I, I have my own biochemical lab inside me where I create the drugs I need. And what I need to create those drugs basically are fear and chaos. If I have chaos in my life, I get grounded. I get focused. I get tunnel vision. And I get stuff done. If I have fear in my life, I get focused. I get tunnel vision. And I deal with that fear one way or another. I either jump right into it to fight it, which is my basic nature. A lot of people with fear go inside, become a little suicidal. I go outside and become homicidal, so watch out. Um, (laughs) um, The other thing about it is it produces the same drug inside me as lust does. It it produces the excitement, it produces the direction, and it takes me out of any real focus on what I need to do. It puts me in the position of having something to do. And that's the opposite of the solution for me. The solution for me is stopping, getting quiet, asking for insight, asking for help, and asking for answers. And the other thing I'm really addicted to is instant gratification. So if I'm asking for answers, they don't always come right away. They take a while to come. That's delayed gratification. And to me, that's what this program is all about, is delaying gratification not getting my answers right now, not having demands on the world, because having demands on the world um, 
always produces more chaos and chaos produces fear. And I go into that cycle, that circle. So for me, living without fear in my life is, uh, has been difficult. I've, I've recently, uh, just given up, um, consultancy I had after I retired in 2016. And, um, yeah, that was useful for me because I, I had lost in some ways my reason for living, you know, when I left because all the chaos went away. So I had to kind of create chaos and fear and other aspects of my life. That's what I got used to. That's what I liked. And, um, it's taken a while, but with the help of good sponsorship, with the help of uh, the community of SA, um, and uh, throwing myself into more service work, um, that's that's dissipating. I'm I'm nowhere near cured of my need to live in fear because just just give me an opportunity, you know. Um, plane gets delayed, uh, something happens, and. Please, you know, I, I I must admit my wife is addicted to all the drama that's going on in American politics these days. You want anything to fear about, pay attention to that. I try and stay as far away from that as I can. Um, but, yeah, fear is a very corrosive element. Um, and today I can say I have found a replacement for that, and that took a lot of work in Finding a higher power that is real for me and having a faith in that higher power. So I do totally believe that the only antidote to fear is faith, and it has to be a real faith. It has to be, um, it has to be evidenced. And today I have evidence that there is something opposite to fear in my life. With that, I'll pass over to Victor. Uh, Good morning again. My name is Victor, a grateful sexaholic. Let's start off by reading uh, one of the definitions. There's a thousand of them in there of fear. It's an an unpleasant, often strong emotion caused by anticipation or awareness of danger. You know, sex addicts, you know, we're well aware of that. Uh, and I wake up every morning <clears throat> knowing that I'm a sex addict. So what's going to go on? You know, it's a constant fear. But in, in the big book, there's a, there's a small story about pretty much sums up, you know, some of, some of my fear. Uh, the important thing I lost was my own self-respect. I could feel fear coming into my life. I couldn't face people. I couldn't look them in the eye. I felt the fear coming into my life, and I couldn't cope with it. I stayed by myself as much as I could. I noticed I was avoiding all my friends. I thought I was losing my mind when I realized that I couldn't stop lusting. As a child, I was abused by an uncle. So, you know, for 40-plus years, I lived in this huge bubble of fear. Uh, Fearing that people knew uh, what had happened to me, uh, not knowing, uh, uncertainly, you know, in, in the world, in my life, growing up. Uh, so that, that you know, I lived a, a very, very um, fearful and uh, 
life that that otherwise you know I, I might have uh, I might have not had. I remember before uh, before the the the, uh, the molestation. I remember actually being a very happy and, and and joyous kid, you know, playing baseball with my friends in the neighborhood and doing all these things. But right after that, I I uh, and I remember my mom specifically asking me, you know, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? Are you okay? What's wrong with you? You know, constantly. It seemed like every day she was asking me what was wrong with me, and and uh, I couldn't I couldn't say it. Uh, I think had I said anything, I, I I honestly believe that my uncle would be dead. Uh, but I had to I had to grow up on kind of teach myself uh, life's lessons, if you will. Uh, I couldn't handle it on my own. I became uh, became a, a chronic masturbator. Uh, voyeurism was my drug of choice. Pornography. So, uh, how did I deal deal with it? It took years and years and years uh, of acting out to 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 kind of you know get me to thinking you know what what am I doing why am I doing this uh, and soon I started blaming people for it. Uh, of course, early on it was it was my uncle who I blamed for my addiction. Uh, I didn't realize realize I had an addiction until I got caught. Uh, I placed a camera in. Uh, my stepdaughter's closet, and she found it. Uh, so that led me to a therapist, a priest, who uh, sent me to a therapist who happened to be another priest who sent me to SA. That was about 13 years ago. Uh, I've got four years of sobriety. Uh, I slipped three times, 118 days the first time, two years plus the second time, another four years the third time. Uh, but as I went along, it seemed like uh, my progressive victory over lust was actually uh, falling off. You know, uh, this last time I actually went into uh, the computer, which I never did before. Pornography on a computer, which I never did before. So, you know, the more sometimes that I thought I was growing in a program, the more my fear and 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 my my uh compulsion and everything else was growing so i had to find something to 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 deal with it what it boiled down to was i had no faith i was in the program but i had no faith uh out of the life recovery bible <clears throat> some other stuff i came up with this you know, we demonstrate faith, justify the fact that we are involved in a recovery program. If we didn't have faith in the promise of a better future for ourselves and our family, we wouldn't put ourselves through the hard work and pain involved in recovery. But as time passes, we may grow discouraged at the length of the process. We may have our spirits dampened by the ups and downs along the road, feeling our faith ebb more often than flow. Some people report instant release from their addictions, but for most of us, it will take faith and patience to inherit the promise of a new life. For me, I had to accept who I was and have faith that God, positive actions and attitudes, and 
you know, actually respecting my disease. I'm a mechanic by trade, and uh, sometimes I have to I have to compress these springs uh, when I'm replacing struts, and there can be ten, fifteen thousand pounds of pressure on these things. And I remember, you know, a lot of people come by and ask me, "Aren't you afraid that thing's gonna pop on you?" And you know what I say is, "No, I'm not afraid. You know, I respect it. You know, when I'm when I'm putting this thing together to compress it, there's a certain way that you have to do it." And even as you're compressing the spring, you have to keep an eye on so many different parts of the press. Because if you do one thing wrong, it could end your life. And for me, uh, this program, four years now plus in sobriety, if I do one thing wrong, you know, I no, I no longer say that I'm going to lose my sobriety. But rather, I'm going to choose to give it away. There's just so many things that uh, I, I, in, 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 in my in my experience, you know, uh, there's so so many things that 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 uh, you can control. In this program, we have so many tools that we can use. Before I go and act out or think of acting out, I mean, I I know what's going to happen. You know, I remember when I was a kid, when I was acting out, every time I was doing something wrong, my heart was telling me, you know, that heart starts beating just a little bit faster. And to me, that's my signal. That's my signal. I got to have faith that someone, someone, somewhere, and beginning with God, because he's the first person that's going to talk to you. He's telling me, with that heartbeat, he's telling me, stop. So, if it doesn't feel right, I'm not going to do it. Um... I guess I better stop there. Uh, so um, with that, I think we've got to we better read. Oh, we can read. Okay. Here are the guidelines for sharing at this meeting. In sharing, we ask that members with five years or more sobriety share first, then one to four years. Then, if time allows, others will be invited to share so as to focus on the solution. If you would like to share it, please come up ahead of your turn and make a line by sitting in the assigned chairs up front. When it is your turn to share, please speak clearly into the mic so that everyone can hear you. In participation, we avoid topics that can lead to dissension or distraction. We also avoid explicit sexual descriptions and sexually abusive language. The emphasis is on honesty, recovery, and healing. How to apply the 12 steps and 12 traditions in our daily lives. No crosstalk, please. Someone feels another is getting inappropriately explicit or is focusing excessively on the problem rather than on the solution. They may so signify by quietly raising their hand. Although this is an anonymous meeting, please remember that anonymity does not mean legal confidentiality. Please do not share any felony for which you have not been adjudicated, else we will be required to inform law officials to protect the injured. Please be mindful of what you share to not break your own or another member's anonymity. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Could I have a quick show of hands? Who's got five years or more sobriety in the room? View you. So if you want to come up and share now, please do. I'll set the mic over here. Don't all, don't all rush up here, but. 
Good morning. My name is Steve. I'm a sexaholic. I've been sober since September of uh, 2011. Um, I resonated so much with what you said about being addicted to fear and chaos and adrenaline. That says a lot about me in terms of my career as an engineer, always jumping in and tackling impossible jobs, impossible schedules, and getting so wrapped up in that and led to workaholism that uh, made the real me shrink away and the whole focus is on getting things done. And so that kind of really took a huge toll on my marriage and um, my life. You know, there was I didn't really have a life. I had a life getting things done and I loved the chaos and the adrenaline and the caffeine and the... Whatever, but when retirement came, um, everything fell apart. It's it's not that I didn't have issues with lust and um, acting out before, but in the idleness of retirement, with the interpersonal issues, my own and in my marriage, that's where things just went crazy in terms of sexaholism, in terms of pornography and acting out. And... Um, I'm so grateful for this program that gets me to understand how I got there and all the underlying things. I'm in the middle of step four right now, dealing with the fears and resentments, and I'm just amazed at how many fears there are that I'm trying to write about. And I would so love to be able to get rid of some of those in this round of step four to try to give me some breathing room. And the thing that... the the biggest fear, I guess, that comes up all the time, almost every day in my life with my wife, is that her, she sees me as not being as open, honest, and transparent as she wants and needs me to be, and I struggle with trying to figure out how to do that. It's it's very difficult because from childhood on, I was I was always that person who was not wanting to be wrong, always had to be right, didn't want to be pigeonholed by anybody, so therefore I didn't want to say anything that would allow some some person to pigeonhole me and think I was this kind of a person or this kind of a kid or whatever. So I was always withholding myself, and um, that all fed all my addiction, addictive behavior, and now I'm trying to undo some of that, so... Struggling with the fear. I've got a great sponsor. Step four is a struggle. I have trouble sitting down to work on it. But I'm back actively doing that now, and I'm thankful for the program and thankful for the topic and just thankful to be here with all of you working on recovery. Thank you. Thank you. I'm Andy, and I'm a sexaholic. I have been free, sexually sober, and free of other addictions since October 30th, 2011. And I am so grateful for that miracle. I call it a miracle because on October 29th, 2011, as I found myself in the back of a squad car here in San Antonio on emergency detention, the fear was absolutely overwhelming incredibly overwhelming to the point of uh, paralyzing, had no clue as to what was going to be happen next. Uh, 
The fear also that I had no higher power or concept of a higher power to lean on during that period, which I've learned subsequently after trips to two different psych wards and the beautiful of two different fellowships. I'm also an alcoholic where I started and here. This is an incredible program, and for me, I get most of my answers from the big book. The big book, and as you all were sharing, immediately I went to page 68, and it talks about the process of going into step four, and it talks about the fear, but for me, I jumped immediately to the section where fear and faith are anathema. They do not, they cannot exist together. And I love this one section in the big book. It's on page 68, and it goes, All men of faith have courage. They trust their God. And that's what I've learned from an absolute atheist or an agnostic to finding a God that I have today. So for me, when I hear this topic, it brings me back. It brings me back to the perils of where I was. But it also gives me tremendous hope on what this program can do, can do, as I work it and do it right to the best of my ability. And thank you for all of you for assisting. I'm Andy, and I'm a sexaholic. I'm Tom, I'm a sexaholic. Sobriety date, January 12, 2011. Um, I uh, have a lot of experience with fear. I'm still a quite fearful person. But I also have some experience with recovering from fear. Um, I also like tend to avoid like sitting in front of great groups of people. And I think the program helped me to uh, overcome it a little bit. And also to open up and that then it would actually be a good experience because all my life I would try to avoid showing anything and being seen because that felt very threatening. And I really relate to also the part of trauma having a big influence on my life. And also that lust was then the, the, the solution. And of course at some point in my life that backfired. I, I, all the mechanisms I had to avoid what was inside, my intense anxiety like failed. So I hit bottom and then I went to, into recovery. And that was very difficult because I brought that fear into the room. So I would sit in a room and I would be tremendously frightened of all the people there. I would think they, they all want to kick me out, you know, they're, 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 they don't want me here. And so, but I was desperate enough to stay and I'm really grateful for that. And also for my sponsor, I think he also has great experience with fear and recovery from it. He, he once spoke at the international convention as the keynote speaker and he, I heard his talk and I really identified because he, he, he started off by saying, like, uh, I'm very afraid to stand here and to share, but basically it's, it's like, uh, SA has been done nothing but good to me, but still I have this fear. And so, but by putting it out there, that sort of started him off. And I think that's also a bit my experience. Um, and my experience in recovery that I would have this situation which I, which I always wanted to avoid, like at a work, a social setting, I would call an old-timer. And, and that old-timer would say, okay, I would, I would tell you, I'm, I'm terribly afraid to go to this, to, to this uh, reception. What, what do I do? And the old-timer would say, get closer to God. And th that was his solution. You know? I think, yeah, what, what do I do with that? You know, it doesn't help me. 
but I couldn't see it. But then, as I started to work the program more, um, yeah, there was some more recovery from fear because uh, I think my fear is also total self-obsession. Like, uh, totally being obsessed with myself, always, always everything around me has, to, has got to do with me. And the more I practice, um, yeah, doing things for other people, that sort of dissolves a bit. And also, I think the prayer, what was, which was brought forth by the person before me, it says like, God, please help me overcome fear and show me what you want me to be. And one of my uh, big fears was that my son was very ill, he had a mental disease, that he was going to kill himself. So at, at night I couldn't sleep and the lust would come. Because then my old solution comes, right? Because I have no solution for this fear. I need a solution. What I feel is unbearable. So then I'm like totally restless, irritable and discontent. And then the lust comes in, in the brain here. So, and I would tell my sponsor, what can I do? And he just said, well, use this prayer. Like, I used to pray this a lot all the time. God, if it is your will that my son kills himself, bring it on. So then I would get out of the way. And it sounds like a cruel prayer, but it, it, it actually helped because then I got out, out of the seat of the higher power. And, um, and the other thing he said to me was like, okay, and also pray how to be a good father. So because I was concerned with if he killed himself, what, what that would do to me. So I would pray every time I saw him, not, oh my God, don't let me do something that he will kill himself, but just, okay, God, show me how to be a good father. And that's what I did. And thank God uh, he's now in recovery. And um, I'm still here. I'm still sober. And uh, I feel like I have a little bit more faith that this program works uh, no matter what. Thank you. Thank you. Hello, my name is Ted. I'm a sexaholic. Hey, Ted. Oh, thank God one day at a time. I've been sober for 3,864 days, and that's because of all of you people in this room. You don't realize it, but you are here to help me. That's why you came to San Antonio, and I thank you. Um, being, being God as I am and ruler of the world as I am, I have to change all of your programs because it's wrong. It says overcoming fear. The real title of this session is Overcoming Irrational Fear. Because fear is a good thing. I should be afraid of being thrown into a lion's den. That's rational fear. I should not be afraid of my job interview. That's irrational fear. And for me, there's a very, very simple way to deal with irrational fear. It's a process that I call walking through the fear. Many times when I speak to people in the program, that you can sense the fear in their voice, in their emotional standing. Start off with the question, what is it I'm afraid of? Well, tomorrow I have this big job interview and uh, they're going to give me my annual review and blah, blah, blah. I say, okay, what can happen in the job interview? And every question can only have two answers. There's only two choices in the decision tree. Either this is going, A is going to happen or B is going to happen. Okay, let's say A happens. Little by little by little, you work through the decision tree, and you keep going down and down and down, and the irrational fear becomes clear 
that there's really very, very little likelihood of it happening. And even if it does happen, so what? It's not life-threatening. It's not the end of the world. So I get a traffic ticket. So I get a flat tire. So I'm late to a meeting. None of that means anything. It's just life happening. Little by little by little, if I look at my irrational fear, and I have, and I'm open about it, I'm honest about it, I share it with another person, I can very easily deal with that fear. Because at the end of the day, having sex doesn't cure the fear. It's just having sex. And it has nothing to do with the fear. Thank you. Thanks. <laughs> Hi guys, this is Mauro Sexolic. Uh really appreciate for what uh, Ted said because uh, somehow um as far as I'm concerned the way I dealt with this kind of emotions is just to deny they exist. And uh and that's not good. <laughs> if you don't have fear, you you can do really crazy things, but the idea is fear is not is not good, so you just uh, what I I did. I just denied it. it. I denied it. Period. And I did that with many other emotions. So today, um, I'm uh, I'm trying to open up that and uh, and let it let it let it be felt to feel to feel fear, and um, and then I, I try to to understand what is irrational, what is rational fear. So um, I was emotional right now listening about these things, and I'm and I'm and I'm glad I am emotional because I I, I feel what's going on inside, and, uh, and from that standpoint uh, I can then work into recovery and healing. But being an expert in de- in denial is not a good thing. Just want to say that I pass. Okay. I'm Rick. I'm a sexaholic. Um, I, the, the whole topic of fear reminds me that uh, the, the, what goes along with fear is worry. And I just wanted to share with the group what I saw recently on a, it's a little churchism on a board outside of a church said, worrying works. Most of the things I end up worrying about never happen. <laughs> Anybody with uh, one to four years sobriety? I'm sharing this. It's open. Good morning. I'm Brandon. I'm a recovering sexaholic. Very grateful to my higher power to be sober since July 26, 2013. Uh, you know, I, I I fear getting in front of large groups of people and talking, so I think that's kind of uh, very uh, interesting that my higher power, you know, continues to to work on me in ways. Um, I'm employed in a public safety type job, and for the last 20 years, I've been conditioned to run toward um, the bullets, the explosions, the danger. You know, I, I've 
kind of my whole life, it's, it's always been, you know, improvise, adapt, and overcome. And that has definitely played into my addiction in the past, for sure. Um, you know, being able to control everything. I think it's, I think it's, you know, sort of a, an interesting thing that the biggest thing for me is fear. Um, you know, fear being, again, the fear that I can, that I'm helpless, that, you know, anything else, you know, I, I can, I can do it. I'll take it. I'll, you know, I'll jump out of a plane. I'll do whatever I got to do. But not being able to control something, not being able to get to the point where I can, I can take it. I think the fact that the first step is admitting you're powerless was um, interesting for me because it wasn't until that point that my higher power gave me the opportunity to get to a place where I could surrender and just understand that, you know, God's, God's got it when I don't. And, uh, well, uh, anyway, uh, I'm, I'm grateful for every one of you. I'm grateful for this program and I'm grateful that, you know, it's, it's, it's surrender and accepting and letting God do what I can't. And, uh, I'm Brandon recovering sexology. Hi, I'm Steve. I'm a sexaholic from North Carolina. Sobriety date 8-8-2016. Um, yeah, I like, I appreciate all the earlier shares and the leads. I especially relate to kind of being a drug addict and having a biochemical lab inside me. Um, a lot of time I've recently come to that realization that I'm a, I'm addicted to fear, uh, anxiety, um, and like anything else, the solution for me is always in the steps. Step four, the fear inventory. I've had to look at that. What character defects are driving that? I have a lot of fear of um, judgment, being judged uh, by others, fear. Um, that That's really the main driver of it all is wanting to be liked by you all. Uh, by the people I work with, by my wife. Um, but there are two acronyms that I use for fear. The, the first one, which I think was touched on, false evidence against reality. Um, most of my fears are of the imagined variety or the irrational variety. They're not based in any reality. Uh, but the other acronym for fear that I use is more of a solution is face everything and recover. Um, and so, you know, step four, inventorying the fears and then letting go of that and surrendering that defect of character. Um, I've been dealing with this at work a lot of I, I manage a group of people um, and it's coming up on annual review time. I have to give feedback. Uh, you know, I have to assign ratings to people. And of course, I want to I want to be liked. So I want to give them all an exceeds rating. Um, and that's not reality. And that's also not helping them grow. I have to give constructive feedback. I have to say what I mean, but not say it mean. I have to, um, 
use the THINK acronym whenever I'm giving feedback. Uh, is it true, helpful, insightful, necessary, and kind? Um, so there are a lot of tools I can use to overcome that fear of judgment. And my job is not to be liked. Uh, my job is to manage. Um, so it is just facing that fear. Fearlessness, faith is a solution, but f fearlessness is not the absence of fear. For me, it's taking the necessary actions in spite of the fear. Um, thanks. Thank you. Hi, my name's Louise. I'm a sexaholic. Um, yeah, there's almost constantly a low level of fear in me. And um, I, I've been able to reduce the fear in my life, like doing things like not watching the news, staying away from loud, abrasive people, you know, just that living a gentle life reduces my fear. But I am always got some kind of fear. And I was asking my higher power, is there any way I could be completely free of fear? Is that possible for a human being? And I really felt my high power saying to me, love-filled faith. Like, for me to have faith isn't enough, because I can have faith and still have fear in me. And I felt my high power saying to me, love-filled faith casts out fear. So if, if I, if I have still have fear, my problem is that I, I'm having a problem, is that I have an inability to receive love from my higher power. So I have, reduce the whole problem down to my inability to receive enough love to cast out the fear. And I did have a short period of time in my life where I was able to do that, actually do that and be completely free of fear, but I lost it. And um, I still have that goal in me all the time to get back to that and to try to make that more of a way of life, but it's hard. It's really hard. <laughs> Thanks, Uh, Judy D, uh, Louisville, Kentucky, sobriety date, uh, April 10th, 2015. Okay. I'm dealing with fear right now in my life. Uh, I have to, uh, live with somebody who, uh, is very challenging to me intellectually and, uh, socially. And, uh, I've asked my higher power for the grace to accept and love, which has been very stretching for me. And I think it's as an adult child of an alcoholic, I think I want control and I want things to be a certain way. And this person uh, is not fitting my mold. <laughs> so it's stretching me to do the work. It's stretching me to ask for help, call my sponsor, work the steps. Um, so what uh, it said that fear is courage that has said its prayers. I think somebody said that. Maybe you said it. And... Um, I know that I'm going to make it through this. This too will pass. But I'm learning a lot of stuff um, through through the struggle. And I'm learning to depend on people. I'm learning to call people for help. And I'm learning to uh, be honest and real. So that's very important. Thanks. Tim, sexaholic. Somebody handed me the white book probably 10 years ago. I tore out the fourth step, ate it, and all my fear was gone. <laughs> Sobriety date is January 16th of 2012. 
Fear kept me from coming up with the first group. It's a character defect that'll stay with me forever. But with recovery, I can deal with that. I remember as a young child, family saying, don't touch that knife, it'll cut you. If you're going downstairs, don't fall. A lot of things like that that I think instilled fear. Instead of, let me show you how to use that knife. And if you slow down going down the stairs, you might not fall. I know now that even if I'd have cut myself with that knife, I could have got help. If I'd have fallen down the stairs, more than likely I would have survived. But I amplified that because I could live inside my head all the time as a kid. Just the circumstances. Workaholic dad, mom that was suffering from being a child of an alcoholic. Many years I blamed them for the way I was. Now that I have, Tuesday will be six years of sobriety, I can just see that those were influences on me that I didn't have to embrace, but I did. And television was a lot of times my babysitter. So living inside my head was easy. Coming into SA in 2008, I wasn't afraid of anything. Garbage. <laughs> I was afraid of everything. Some of the people that have talked already, you know, the job interview, going to the doctor, irrational fears. Uh, I tried medication uh, chemically, uh, antidepressants and things like that because sometimes my road rage would evolve from my fear. Doing step four, and in the 12 and 12, where it talks about instincts uh, gone astray, my higher power gave me the instinct of fear. But my circumstances made it irrational. You know, an animal has fear and then will attack you if afraid. I just drove deeper, deeper, deeper inside my head. So when I got to step four and started listing out all of those things, every single one of them had the parentheses fear beside of it. Come to find out in sobriety, I was afraid of everything. I don't have to be afraid anymore. I have to be cautious and I have to understand what fear is and how it played a part in my life. But I've got a higher power that can handle all of that fear, every bit of it. And then I can live happy, joyous, and free. Thanks. We have about 10 minutes left. Anybody who wants to share it all? Hi, my name is Charlie, and I'm a sexaholic. And um, so I, I uh, discovered masturbation at the age of four. Before masturbation, there was fear from my parents who physically physically punished me uh, severely. You know, whatever my mom found and reached to hit me with, that was what she hit me with. And my father would also beat me up. So I found uh, relief in the bathroom 
through masturbation. And now how I discovered it, I don't know, but that's how I discovered it. So fear was the first thing that came into my life. And that was uh, freezing fear. And now today, I, that acronym, somebody spoke about it, uh, false evidence appearing real, because something, something that was a lie, something that was not true came into my life that paralyzed me, uh, gave me the inability to do things. Like, I remember one time I was in the seventh grade and I was in the basketball team, and um, I wasn't really even good. You know, I probably could have been a hero that day, and the ball just kind of landed in my hands, and we were like one second away, one second, one point losing, and there was like three seconds in the clock, and the ball fell in my hands, and everybody was like, it was like in slow motion, shoot the ball! And I just froze, and I didn't shoot it, and we lost. And I was a loser that day. But fear made me feel like I was a loser but you know what? That was false evidence appearing real because I am not a loser because I am a winner because the number one reason is because uh, I have a, a God who loves me and cares for me just exactly the way I am. I don't have to have that fear anymore. And somebody said, there is a good fear. And someone said, you're cautious. You know, you're flying. The possibility of that airplane crashing, well, you have a slight fear in it doesn't mean I'm not going to fly. Oh, my gosh, I'm afraid to fly, you know. But that paralyzing fear that I had for my parents destroyed me in, in school. I was a, a poor, I, 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 couldn't, I couldn't study. Because of SA, I was able to go to college later on in life and do really good. So there's two kinds of fears, and the fear that I have now is a, it's a good fear, and that's um, finding everything about relying on God. Carlos, sexaholic from San Antonio. I've been sober since uh, April 4th, 2016. And um, when I got in this program, I was dying, just like a lot of you. And um, I thought it was just mostly just uh, uh, destructive uh, lust and sex in my life that made myself unmanageable. As I gone through some of the steps... I got to the fourth step, and like it was previously mentioned just uh, just recently here, uh, the fourth step was a really good. Uh, it was uh, an awakening for me because of all the uh, the fears. Actually, it was the resentments first, all the things that people had done to me, and then it was the fears and my reaction. What part of what did I play in it? And I had a lot to do with it. There was a lot of it was based upon fear, and then I realized that not only did I use uh, uh, fantasy for, for lust and finding myself in uh, various situations that I put myself in, but fantasy was, it was, a, it was a great way of getting a, I mean, a, a hit on how I created my own fantasy to overcome. Uh, whether it's at work, whether it's uh, at home, whether it's anywhere, it's on the road, driving. It was the fantasy of me overcoming against these invisible uh, these invisible foes uh, that uh, come into my life from time to do- time, and I would get a hit. Not only would I get a hit, but it was the same kind of adrenaline I got when I was pursuing lust. And that's what my fourth step told me, that it was more than just lust in my life that was making me crazy. It was my character defects. It was taking these instincts for me 
uh, I was taking these these instincts that I took, and I and I used them for more than than what they were. And it, it, then I realized how subtle not only my lust was and the fantasies, but also my revenge fantasies of of um, road rage and things like that. I had found myself in a lot of situations like that. So and it's really subtle. Like for instance, a memory would trigger me. How I would rewrite that memory where I was on top. And I got a little hit because I could actually feel, like you were saying, a uh, biochemical reaction. And it was similar to something I might experience in a lust run. And I realized, oh my God, I just had a fantasy. And it wasn't lust. It kind of was. It's kind of like lust of winning. Rewriting history so I didn't have to live today. And, uh, and so now I am, I, I, I'm with this. This is where I'm at. And my sponsor made me, when I went down to the fourth step, all those fears of, of creating, uh, identifying the real fear versus the, uh, the imagined. I remember putting him down. He looked at him. He says, okay, yeah, that's un, yeah, that's not, you know, that's not a real fear. And yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah. So this, what about this one? Well, that's real. No, no, it's not. No, no, it's real. You have to understand this. And that's why I'm glad I have a sponsor, because I don't always see things clearly. I see things from my own head where I'm right. And sometimes I am right. A lot of times I'm not, because it was part of my fantasy. And so I, I'm learning to surrender and have faith, because I didn't have faith when I was growing up, because I could trust none of the insanity in my family. In family, just couldn't trust it. And now, that's part of my legacy. Now, I don't blame my family because when I was doing my thing as an adult, uh, my mother and my father weren't telling me to do those things. I did them myself. So I take responsibility for that, and it's a hell of a journey. Welcome to it. <laughs> Good morning, I'm Scott. I'm a sexaholic. As I was thinking about fear, um, somebody mentioned earlier um, about not feeling accepted by people and not feeling loved, and that is the basis of all my fear, I feel. Um, I have constantly struggled with um, hoping that people think I'm good enough and worrying that they're not going to think I'm good enough. And I think um, two of my greatest fears is that um, yeah, that I'm not going to be good enough at what I'm doing, not in my marriage, in my work. Um, and the other fear is that people are going to find out all my secrets. And I realize that, um, you know, saying out loud, like, if I live a life of integrity in recovery and don't have secret sin, then what is there to be afraid of um, for me? So, uh, you know, in my life, I feel like I've lived by this mantra of fake it till you make it and... You know, sometimes that works, but then you, there's always that fear that people are going to find out that I'm just a fake. Uh, so, with that being said, um, just wanted to get say it out loud that you know a life of integrity for me and a life in recovery is going to be essential to overcoming fear um, and not worrying about people finding out what's on the inside and what I'm trying to hide. So, thanks. Thanks, Scott. Last one. My name is uh, <clears throat> Mike. I'm a sexaholic, and this is <clears throat> life or death for me. I've been 
uh, sober since the 22nd of October of 2017. Uh, but I've been around for about seven years in this program, had about four and a half years of sobriety, uh, but I was dead inside. <clears throat> and I was looking for recovery, happy, joyous, and free. Uh, and 84 days ago, I started using my sponsor, not just having a sponsor, um, because I was at the point of wanting to kill myself. Um, and uh, he said, okay, go to meetings every day, which I did. <clears throat> and after the fifth day, uh, my wife uh, of uh, 37 years asked me uh, to move out. Um, and <laughs> uh, it was my pride, as I uh, was um, just read, you know, because uh, I wasn't fearful of much before then. I wasn't fearful of killing myself. Uh, but it was my pride and my ego that was keeping me from my uh, higher power. Uh, and I could um, <clears throat> lead others, uh, you know, being 30 years uh, professional uh, clergy and um, helping others see the way, but I couldn't find my way in a paper bag. Uh, and uh, not only did I surrender, but I began submitting uh, to the process, to this program. Um, and I was done, you know. I had uh, I had nowhere else to go. And uh, I'm so thankful. Um, and my wife's here with me, um, and we're rediscovering a new uh, relationship. Um, and next Friday, when I have 90 days, uh, I'll be moving back into the house uh, by God's grace. Um, and... Uh, but I continue to have to keep my pride and my ego in check and stay in my butt in that uh, wheelbarrow because I don't like it in the wheelbarrow. That's very fearful. Uh, but I know that's uh, <clears throat> where I need to be, and uh, I'm grateful for that. Thanks very much. Well, th My name is Victor, and I'm a grateful sexaholic. Uh, before we close, uh, I need to apologize because I quoted a uh, Lifetime Recovery Bible, which uh, I was told is not uh, SACO approved. So, you know, again, I apologize if uh, I offended anyone. Thank you. Thanks, Victor, and thanks for your opinion. Um, in closing, anything you've heard at this meeting is strictly the opinion of the individual participant. The principles of SA are found in our 12 steps and 12 traditions. Remember, we never identify ourselves publicly with SA in the press, radio, TV, or films. Neither does any, anyone speak for SA. This is an anonymous program. Please keep the name, address, and phone number of anyone you meet or learn about in SA to yourself. The shares we have heard here were told in confidence. Please do not repeat what you have heard about another member to anyone who was not actually here at this meeting at the time that it was shared. And please, what we say here, let it stay here. And would you help me close this meeting with the third step prayer, please?
a moment of silence for those still suffering from this disease, both in and out of the room. God, I offer myself to thee, to build the means to do with me as thy will. For you can be the bondage of self, and I may be better than thy will. Take away my difficulties, that victory over them may be very witness to those around myself, by thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. Now to do thy will of all like to thank you for listening to this episode of the daily reprieve the best source for experience strength and hope for sa members please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes please show your support by donating to the daily reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking donate now Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.